All right, now that we're recording, um, yeah, everything I just said, and Dr. Conti is amazing. <laughs> and uh, the topic for tonight is generative drive, resourcefulness, and self-care in the creative mind. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I think a place to start is, is I'll say a few things about my sort of beliefs about how the how the mind works, right? And I don't, of course, claim to have all the answers or to be sure about it, right? It's an evolving science of trying to understand ourselves. But I think we have psychological traditions, psychological knowledge, um, neurobiological advances. Like there's a lot we know about our minds that really points towards drives being central to a lot of what goes on in us and, and a lot of what undergirds our choices, our decisions, how to live our lives, um, you know, what we choose to do with our, our time and our energy. And, you know, the thought used to be, the thought at one point was that we we all have like aggressive drives, right? And pleasure drives and like that that's it, right? So this was orthodoxy, right? This is what was believed in the field for many, many years. A lot has happened, including after the Second World War, uh, writings of Viktor Frankl being very influential. Um, so him and others who who really influenced a move to, to allow for there being more in us. Like the idea that aggression or self-assertion is like, look, I want, I want to be able to be a force in the world. I, I want um, to be able to keep myself safe. I want to be able to navigate in a way that can like take care of my family. For so, so that we have to have aggression within us in order to be able to do that, right? And then there's also a drive towards pleasure, right? And and that, you know, has often been kind of dumbed down towards, oh, it's aggression and sex, right? It's more than that, right? Aggression is falls under the heading of self-assertion. Like, I'm going to bring myself to bear, right? And pleasure can be safety, security, um, not being hungry, right? So so pleasure can be, can be uh, a sense of comfort and a sense of safety, it can also be things that are actually pleasurable to us, right? But if you really look intensely at our traditions in trying to understand people and how modern neurobiology informs us, what we see is that aggression or self-assertion and pleasure or safety, security, you put those two things together and you just don't get answers, right? Like it doesn't explain how we are as humans. Right? It doesn't explain, for example, people who find within themselves the, the drive, the urge to create, right? the urge to leave something better or different than it was before them, right? to, in the case of artists, to create something that, that impact other people, that affect other people, that, 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 that changes in some way with the thoughts, feelings inside. And I think this is because all that we know points towards there being another drive, right? Which I think the best word to put to that drive is a generative drive of creating goodness where there was not goodness before, right? So I don't think, for example, you can explain the creation of art by saying, well, a person wants to bring themselves to bear and make some change in the world and, and, and show, you know, have some impact and also want to like get things for themselves, like resources, they can put a roof over one's head and all of that. I don't, it doesn't explain the drive to create, right? To, to, to make for the sake of making and for the sake of what that making will mean to others, right? 
So, so if we accept, and I think there's so much that tells us this, I've, um, there's a whole series of podcasts that are going to come out in September that really speak to this uh, through the Huberman Lab platform of talking about drives and that this generative drive, I think, is really the source of human goodness, right? So, so then when we think about, okay, levels of drives, right? There are people who have more or less of various drives, right? And this includes the generative drive. So let's think about someone who may have a low level of, of a generative drive. They may, for example, be a very, very good, and I don't mean to say anything negative about accountants, right? But let's contrast accounting from art, right? Then we can say, okay, a person may have a, a, a lot of ambition and a lot of intelligence and ability, and they want to assert themselves in the world. And they want good things to come of it, right? And then they're going to learn this thing and do this thing that we could say is accounting. Okay, that makes sense to me that maybe there's a lower generative drive, right? And then we would contrast that to an artist who, who might say, look, I, I don't want to like master something that at the end of the day, I produce the accounting files and like, that's it. I'm not saying it's not important. It's important, right? You know, like, this business or these people need this thing done, but like, that's not, that's not what's going to make me happy, right? I want to create. Right. I want to I want to create in a way that's de novo, that's novel. Right. And I believe that that's true in artists. There can be higher or lower pleasure drives, higher or lower self-assertion drives. But the generative drive is high. I think if the generative drive weren't high, you wouldn't be an artist. Right. There'd be other things to do, other things to draw for your time and attention. But those things do not uh, allow for self-expression in the way that art does, right? So so within that framing, we can say, okay, there, there's good and bad of everything, right? Like if we look at it, nothing is purely good because like too much of a good thing maybe is not good anymore or qualities come with their, their assets and their liabilities, right? So a, a generative drive, a high generative drive comes with like, there are very good things that come along with that. So for example, people who are more interested in the world and 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 more just engage with what's going on around them and more curious, intellectually curious, you know, even the, the curiosity about artistic traditions and how people create and learning how to create. There's so much that's good from that, right? But but it, it also can come with um, less of an ability to clearly anchor oneself, right? Like if you want to be an accountant or a physician, right? There's a path to follow, right? Like, Hey, go, go do this, go to first year of college, second, third, fourth, apply for the CPA program. Like, yeah, I'm not saying anything negative about it. I mean, medical school was like, it was very linear, right? Like go do this, pass these tests, go to the next step. At the end of all that, there's your doctorate, right? I mean, th th there's something to be said for the linearity of that, right? So that's not the way, right? The path, say, of the artist, right? There's not a linear path to other things to do. Of course, that one needs to learn and enact and relationships one, one builds, but, but really there's not a set pathway, right? So on the one hand, that allows the freedom to create, but on the other, it's not anchored to some of the things that provide people with a sense of solace and safety, right? Like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to be a CPA and I know like CPAs earn within this range. So I know I'm going to have such and such an income and I can you know, use that income to pay loans, put a roof over my head, whatever it may be. And also, I'm going to be with a group of people who are also CPAs, right? Like CPAs can relate to one another 
right? Accountants can relate to one. They're kind of doing similar things. And then there's a group of people that allows for what, what's called an affiliative defense, right? Which is where we all deal with distress, negative or difficult things in life, which happen to all of us, right? If we're affiliated, right? So there's some safety and solace in like, I know what it is to be a CPA or a doctor, whatever I am, that there are groups of people that I belong to that are that. And that can make it easier to say, deal with some of the slings and arrows of life, right? So so here, which is why I, I think, I really do with all my heart, think that what Lucian is doing here is really wonderful. And it's a reason why I'm, I'm excited to participate as part of what is happening is it's giving some affiliation, right? Of saying, yes, you're all artists and you can come together, even though you may be very different kinds of artists, or you may approach art in very different ways then you get some of that affiliative defense of like, here we are and we're together and that can help with, with the slings and arrows that life sends us. I think it's a much less predictable pathway. It's a much less safe and secure pathway. So th there has to be a, a, anything that can make a sense of non-aloneness, right, is, is good and is important. So the high levels of generative drive has all the creativity and learning and all of that but it also doesn't lend itself to what the world around us kind of values in a lot and rewards in a lot of ways, which are linear pathways of, hey, you want to do X? Check these 14 boxes, then you're at X, right? And, and like there's a linear process to do it. So, so I think, you know, th that there are greater risks to the generative pathway because it's not proscribed in a way of like, here's what you do. Um, you know, here's what you do, here's what you don't do, here's how you get where you're going. And I think it pushes to the person who is an artist, is artistic, much more tolerance of distress inside about like, where do I land? Who are my people? Um, how am I going to make my path? Uh, am I going to be okay? Right? Uh, you know, are, are things going to be be okay in, in the broader, in my life, right? And that may be logistical things or practical things. It may also be just a feeling of being good enough. Like it is easier if you're if I'm working as a physician and there are X number of patients, and at the end of the day, I've seen them, I've written notes, I've sent them in prescriptions, there can be a much better, like I check the box of my own day versus if I want to be artistic during the day. So even in my own life, I, I don't have artistic inclinations in the set or, or abilities in the sense that like my eye hand coordination is very poor. Like, but, but what I can do some of is writing, right? So one might say, okay, writing can be in some ways artistic. You know, I, I can see the pathway of like, I worked hard writing for half a day and like, it's not as clear to me is what I wrote good. Is it, you know, is it, is it getting across what I wanted to get across? You know, th there's not a way that at the end of the box, I check at the end of the day, I check that box and I know that I that I've like I've done well, so to speak, right? So writing to, to me was more creative and rewarding in all sorts of ways, but it was also an increased sense of vulnerability or just lack of clarity about what am I doing? Is it good? Is it achieving? Is it going to achieve what I wanted to achieve? It's it's hard, right? And a lot of times, of course, people who are artistic, what they've done is very very powerful and impactful, but it doesn't get recognized immediately, right? I mean, if you're a CPA or a doctor and you do your work for the day, well, you're going to get paid for your work for the day. And someone's can, that's at least one way you get patted on the back, right? Whereas 
sometimes artists can get very negative, can get negative feedback, like, oh, no one's rewarding that now, right? But but like that may be because the, the world hasn't come along, awareness hasn't come along enough, right? So there's this idea of delay of gratification sometimes. And and what does delay of gratification mean? Like you have to have faith in yourself that w- uh, what you're doing, right, is is your path, even if you're not receiving the gratification, while also being aware of what's around you to say, look, is, is what I'm doing the best way to express? So you have to be like looking with a critical eye at what you're doing while also having faith in yourself and what you're doing. And, and I think it, it makes it in some ways a more difficult path. I could, do I think it can be more rewarding? Yes. If I think about the demographics that I, of people that I, that I take care of or consult to, I, I think without doubt, I mean, I've thought this for a long, long time, the people who are artists, whether it's, it's music, it's, it's, it's painting, it's writing, it's whatever it may be, the people, it's sculpture, whatever, it's the people who are, who are artists, um, there's so much richness. And I think sometimes like, yeah, like I could talk to the person who's the artist forever, right? Like it, th- there's a fascination there, but it is also a population that has had more in the way of difficulties of like, am I okay? Is this okay? Is what I'm doing okay? And it's a lot easier to see that in other realms, like the people who are in doing finance, for example, right? And it's just one example that's very different from that or people who are physicians, right? The artists are such a rich, population of people who have like amazing ideas and can have such joy inside of them but there's a greater susceptibility to some of the difficulties of life like you know like a a sense of depression or demoralization because i don't know if this is my path or i'm not being rewarded i don't know if what i'm doing is right i see more of that there's more of what gets called in some ways degrees of freedom right which would say like oh what is the whole set of options things that can happen right and there's certain paths people take because maybe they're built to take those paths that say, you know, the degrees of freedom might be here, right? And there can be a lot of goodness and stress within that. But if the, the degrees of freedom are here, there's just a greater field of, of possibilities, which why that person can thrive and create in ways others can't. But that, but that person can also at times feel lonely and isolated and demoralized in ways that, that there's, there's a greater susceptibility to. So. I think it is always good to know where are our strengths, where are our liabilities we can better then protect against the ways that, you know, that the 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 greater, say in this case, the greater degrees of freedom um, can bring good things, but we want to be aware of the fact that it can bring isolation. We just want to always know where my susceptibilities so that we can sort of protect against them. And again, I, I, I want to return to this idea that affiliation is so important. You know, I, I can remember like the worst times of medical school thing. Like I, I'm obviously like, I, I am not smart enough to do this. I can't do this. I can't, I, I can't bring myself to bear. I can't handle all the pressure of it. Like, what am I doing here? Right. This is a mistake. Right. And, and, and thinking like, yeah, I probably would have walked away. Like many people would have walked away unless I could look and see there's another person with me who like feels the same way. Right. So together, like we know it, we're going to, we're going to then we can move forward together because I'm not alone in that sort of questioning of self and despair, right? And and I think when people do difficult things, I don't know how people do difficult things and don't find questioning of self or despair at times. Like I've, I've not seen that not be the case, right? So then we need a safety net and, and this affiliation around us so that when you're feeling aloneness, you're feeling despair, you're, you're questioning, right? 
then there are people around you who you can say, right, I that person I have respect for, I, I, I see the good in that person, and they feel the same way I do. So I, I think it's just so important to have the group aspect of doing something that in many ways is individually done. But if people do that individual thing in isolation, there's a much greater susceptibility. So, so again, I think the affiliation of you're all artists and you may be creating things on your own, but you are a group of people who can mutually support and understand one another. And even when you can't understand yourself, if you can look and say, that person doesn't understand either, but we're going to go ahead together. That's what gets people through difficult things. So, so again, I don't want to continue to talk at you like it kind of frames. I think that I think there's a high generative drive in all of you. I I think that that's very very important. It's it's the wellspring of the goodness that comes in your creativity. Um, but it also can have the liabilities of isolation, increased sensitivity to some of the things around you, and the delay of gratification. So. Like anything, there are two sides of the coin. We want to foster the side that's good and be aware of the side that can bring us, um, you know, that can take us off the path of health and happiness too. Is that, and so if that makes sense, Lucian, if you feel like I'm kind of getting that out there and then, I mean, I could say more, we can start talking, whatever you think is best at this point. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Um, you know, I was thinking of a question to ask you um, as you were speaking, but you kind of already answered it where, you know, the, the gratification element of, of the generative drive, you know, and how in some more traditional fields, whether that's monetary value or awards, you're able to sort of get your flowers, you know, and continue on. And I think like one of the really difficult things as an artist or creative or someone just starting out, um, is this sort of two roads, right? Like doing something that's really great and maybe not getting, the validation or gratification and then feeling, you know, sort of stifled at that beginning or not doing something really great, but thinking it's great and also right. not getting the validation. And, you right. know, it, it just, there are these sort of hiccups, but yeah, I never really thought about it like that, like in a community or a group of artists where you understand the value or like we mentioned once in this meeting, like other people's currency, you know, you're right. able to sort of maybe give some of that feedback or give some of that validation or gratification because you understand or see the world through a similar lens. But um, yeah, you kind of yeah. nailed it. Yeah, I think that's absolutely. And I would add maybe one thing to that is the, the group dynamic, the affiliation helps also to make equanimity within us, right? Because it's a hard thing to try and discern. Am I doing something that that is great but not being recognized am i doing something that's not great and i should change right like in order to like try and suss that out we need to have some quiet in here we need to have some peace and some equanimity and it's hard to have that if like oh my gosh like what's going on in me like i don't know right we, we can get ourselves to a place where we have no hope of being able to make a discernment there right but it is the 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 group dynamic it's the person who, who thinks you're you know who's supporting you and is going to stand by you and sees greatness or sees you know sees something in you that makes you feel good and reflects back to you what you want to see that can help a person to to make that distinction because there's no right or like there's not nothing's going to say oh you got the right answer or the wrong answer right and that's how we guide ourselves we want to get more right answers than wrong right if i thought that was great and it wasn't you know if, if like if 10 times i think something is great that's not being recognized you know i'd like at least if it's true that i should kind of alter course I'd like to be able to discern that most of those times. I don't need to discern it all those times, right? But we need some peace inside of us. 
And it's the group dynamic that keeps us calmer. I mean, it's why even think of something so different from art, right? Which is like military, right? Like what people in the military operate in groups, right? And there's a there's a strong emphasis on group dynamics, right? Because it's very, very frightening to be in situations people can find themselves in and they can they can calm themselves inside because of the group of people around them, right? And and that that occurs in situations like that, but it occurs in all sorts of group dynamics. And I think that ability to have equanimity inside of us, like I want to think about myself and what I'm doing and what do I really think of this, right? What do I want to do next based upon what my thoughts are of this? That it helps us to have the calm to see with greater clarity inside of us. Yeah, I I get that. I feel like also, you know, having, I feel like sometimes you try to compile all three drives, you know, and get pleasure or get monetary value from a generative drive that it ends up leading you down a path. Whereas I'm just trying to think about when to, when, when to, when to move on, right? Like when to stop beating a dead horse, maybe something that you thought was great, isn't that great. And to, to move on to something else, but like, how do you know if you're making the right decision and not to carry on doing what you're doing a little bit longer, you know, and, and my inclination comes to maybe just like intention, you know, or thinking about, are you getting pleasure? Are you getting satisfaction from just doing this? And if not, and not getting like the validation right. or gratification, maybe it is time to move on. Cause I just feel like it's a dilemma of like, when you're making a pain, like when to stop. Right. Right. And, and part of that is know thyself, right? Right. No, no I think self-inquiry can be through reflection. It can be through therapy. It can be through education. It can be through talking to people who know us and we have a back and forth. Like it helps us know ourselves because then we, we, we understand ourselves better when we're making that assessment. So for example, take a person with a very high self-assertion or classically called aggression drive. You might say, okay, that's a person who can really be perseverant, right? Okay, that's good unless the person is applying the perseverance too many, too many times. Like, hey, like, don't, you know, there's some things that might make sense. Be perseverant, keep going, keep going. But then that person will tend in a default state to apply that too much, right? They're persevering down five routes and they should stop four, right? So, so if they know themselves, like, let me think about this. Is this, is this right? Do I really want to be persevering about all of these things? Conversely, someone who has a low self-assertion drive might be might get very turned off. Like, so let's say there are five things and none of them are getting rapidly rewarded. That person may be much more likely to, ah, to leave all five, right? Instead of saying, look, I got to look at this because that may be more my tendency, right? So knowing, hey, do I have a lot of self-assertion in me? That's got pros and cons like everything else. Do I have less self-assertion in me? That has pros and cons like everything else. So, so people ask me, like, well, what's better? Then we can say in some ways, like it's not good to have very, very low. So you can say there's some judgment about what is, is better for engaging in the world, but there aren't absolutes as much as there are. It's, it's relative, but you have to know yourself. So I often find myself saying, there's not a better or worse to that, right? It, it, it's you have to know yourself and know where you are along that spectrum so that you, you know how to parse out what's going on inside of you. Similarly, high pleasure drive. You know, people can drive towards, I want that satisfaction. I want that thing that feels good, even if they know that thing is ultimately a dead end, right? It's like, be aware of that, right? And then, and don't do that. Don't be seduced by your own pleasure drive, right? 
Like, likewise, again, people have a low pleasure drive, sometimes aren't accepting good things. Like they don't want to go to that place or hear all those good things about them, right? Because they're worried, oh, I don't want that. It makes them feel bad. It's like, look, look someone wants to give, give accolades or positive feedback, like take that, right? So be aware if you have a tendency to shy away from that, be aware of it so you don't inadvertently maybe like not show up for the thing that can make some connections or provide some forward movement, right? Because you're going to shy away from the say pleasure of, of people giving you something positive, right? So, so much of this is knowing oneself so that we can create the equanimity within us to self-assess. Because again, there aren't a lot of guideposts for what you're doing, right? And that's that's beautiful in many ways, but it's also harder in others. Um, does anyone have any questions? Want to open it up to you guys? Hi, um, my name is Jesse. Uh, hi. hi, Dr. Conti. I'm a fan of yours. Um, Thank you. Yeah, can you um, can you speak a little bit more to like the neurobiology of the generative drive? Um, because, and this is just my sort of hypothesis, just a little background. I'm a musician for the last 17 years, um, but I'm, uh, I'm going back to school to study psychology. Um, but um, the idea that the creative mind is neuro neurologically like I'm having fun when I'm producing music or when I'm performing, um, and over time, can that affect my neurochemical receptors? Like, is there some correlation between addiction and creativity? And, um, and so, and just speak to the, um, the, the generative drive neurobiology. Yeah. So there's a lot to say about that. I'll try and highlight a couple things, you know, so I'll give it, it's, it's one example among many, but I think. To me, it's, I, I think it's the most striking um, of all of them, right? So, you know, for many, many years, many, many years, the, the thought was, hey, what's, what's the part of the brain that's most important? Where's the money at in the brain? It's the outer cortex, right? Why have humans thought that, right? Well, in part, one might argue human beings might be a narcissistic species and say, well, that's the best thing because that's the thing only we have, right? There aren't other animals making language. Right. So language must be great. Right. There are another animals are like planning and executing. So we end up glorifying the outer parts of the cortex, which are about doing. Right. But they're not they're not necessarily about meaning. Right. So what we see as, as a result, say, of some of this psychedelic research. Right. Start showing us things that if you really kind of thought about it, which is not like no one was thinking about it. Right. But now there starts to be some data that says, well, wait, wait a second. When people are really finding meaning, right, this stuff quiets down, right? And, what, and what's going on is in a deeper part of the brain that is not so clearly understandable, that has mystery in it, part that lights up with people have ecstatic experience of union with God, union with another person, right? Like these are more esoteric, but they're the parts of the brain that seem to say, hey, they're generating meaning. We see those parts light up when people are in state, states of high insight. Right. So it's not like, oh, they light up if somebody is intoxicated with a drug. Right. No, the, the, the people maintain the insights, which actually show to be true and adaptive in so many cases, which tells us the neurobiology now is telling us where we're doing versus where we're creating meaning. 
right? So, so in the case of music, it would say something like this, like for you to make music, you need all this stuff, right? You need to be able to use your hands. You need to be able to coordinate. You need to be able to plan. You need to be able to see the notes. So of course you need all this, but that's the doing, not the meaning, right? That the meaning part resides more deep, more deeply in you that gives the incentive. That's why you enjoy creating music, right? That's why there's a drive in you to create new music. So, so that's an example of how, as we understand more about neurobiology, it starts to parse out the difference between meaning and, and the inaction, like E-N, enact, the enacting things, right? So like creating music, is it, the creation of the music isn't the meaning, right? It's the drive inside that led to the creation of the music, right? And then that's the beauty one is seeing, right, is the beauty that was down deep in here that comes out of the person in this way. It's not, I, I, that can come out of me by making music and somebody else that might come out by painting or sculpting, right? But it, but this is the doing. The deeper part is the meaning, right? If that makes makes sense. I was going to say you also asked about addiction, but did that speak to that well or no? Does that? Yeah, I, I I think that you answered my question. I guess I have like a follow up question. I guess it's sure. um just this idea that that's actually really interesting about the doing part because can we overdo it? Can we kind of you know? light up our brains with these chemicals while we're doing it, enjoying it, even though the intention is sort of coming from this deeper meaning, can we, you know, wire our brains to want to do in a way that really excites us to the point where if we're not doing it that way and we're not getting that pleasure, is that the generative drive or is that the pleasure drive? Like that's what I'm sort of confused about. And, um, if if the generative drive is something that is part of the doing, or is it is it not? So the idea would be the drives, drive theory of, of humans and human behavior, which again has been through a lot of thought and testing over like a hundred years, including the modern science kind of coming. It undergirds everything, right? The generative drive is deep inside of that. That's like that's the home source of the of the motivation. So it's why there's interest, right? It's it's why the thought it's why we don't just simply do nothing, right? Because if it's self-assertion and pleasure, you would say, well, if someone said, hey, what what, what would you like? Like you, you, okay, yes, let's give you everything you want or need, right? Uh and there's a lot of pleasure involved in that too. You're not going to starve that we why do anything? Right? But why do anything is because there's a generative drive that isn't satisfied with just having your needs met, right? And having some pleasure. You want to create, right? Now Here's what you're saying is creation, then the drives are interwoven. Creation gives pleasure, right? It's bringing you pleasure when you're creating, but we have to keep things in balance, right? And this is where you, you talked about addiction, like how things can become unhealthy. Look, when I was in medical school 25 years ago at a place where like there were a lot of researchers who like wanted accolades, like a lot of people who wanted to win a Nobel Prize, right? How do you win a Nobel Prize? You study things that that the world around us is interested in and rewards with the Nobel Prize. You don't study something obscure the world isn't interested in. They all know that, right? You could not get one of those researchers to touch addiction with a 10-foot pole then, right? Because the thought was that addiction is separated from everything else and, you know, prison gets themselves in some feedback cycle and it's something different, right? Now, those same researchers are fighting each other to study addiction. Why? Because what's been learned in between is those pathways are the same pathways of reward about all sorts of good things, 
right? That So when someone, if you look at someone who is without the drug they were taking, or someone who's without the lover who has left them, who is without the um, the um, ability to enact the, the drive and creative inside of them, like it looks the same, right? It looks the same, right? Which Which tells us a lot, right? That's why the researchers are interested because it tells us all sorts of things like like love sickness and dope sickness can be very, very, very similar. The same things are going on in the brain, right? And also that we can over-reinforce things, right? That then start to become their own satisfaction, right? So, so let's say there are people who have creative drives within them who are just going to, they just want to do that, right? Because it's gratifying them and they're not doing, say, other things. Like, for example, um, real examples I've seen, like, they have children and they're not taking care of the children enough, right? They're not being responsible. I'm saying what's going on there is their creating is now not enough driven by the generative drive because the generative drive doesn't say ignore your kids, for example, right? But they're being more driven by a pleasure drive. It's pleasurable for me to do that, right? And, and therefore, I'm doing it now to the exclusion of other things. And it starts with a hijacking addictive machinery, so to speak, right? So this idea that we we need to know ourselves and 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 keep things in balance, right? If that makes if that makes sense, because it is like it's very complicated, right? There are these three drives, but the three drives interact, and then our behaviors and our choices can determine our healthy things or not so healthy things happening, and those things get reinforced. I mean, I, I say this all the time, and you know, but like if we all picked a, if we picked a word and we all said it five hundred times. We'd all be saying it tonight, right? Right, because we say it a thousand times. We'll be saying it tomorrow morning, right? Which is what? Why, right? It's a silly experiment, but what we reinforce in ourselves is what comes to the fore, right? Which is why we need to be circumspect and 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 measured in what we're doing, so that something that is generative and good doesn't become something that's addictive and bad, right? And do I see that happen sometimes? Yeah, that can happen. But if we understand ourselves and we're maintaining balance within ourselves, that doesn't happen. I don't know if that speaks to that. I hope that speaks to what you were asking. I, I'm not sure, yeah. but I hope so. No, I did. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Anyone else? Yeah, Connor. I'm past the Hi. Um, thank you so much for doing this talk. Everything you've said has been super insightful. You're welcome. Um, I was curious if uh, the different types of drives are like fixed in like people when you're born or if they're like developed over time, like, and also if like, you know, for example, I'm not a very assertive or aggressive person. So I would assume my aggression drive is pretty low. Um, is there a way for me to increase my aggression drive? Yeah. And you're asking, it's a great question. I, I want to start with the caveat that no one knows the answers to this, right? I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna give you an opinion, and and it's a strongly held opinion based upon education, training, experience, studying the neurobiology. Doesn't mean it's right. Like there's no way we're gonna find like what's right and wrong here, right? But that being said, there's a lot of evidence. There's so much that points towards um, there being real answers to this, right? So the thought is this: you know, people talk so much about nature and nurture, right? And and often we, we talk about nature in a way as if, oh, like something is determined when sperm and egg come together, right? 
Now, that's true in some way. So think about um, uh, character things that, that pivot upon a single gene, like muscular dystrophy. It's just one example, right? When sperm and egg come together, either that there's either the genes that say that are going to happen or not, right? So there are some things that are very clearly on and off, right? They are not things like what we're talking about, right? What we're talking about is a manifestation of like being human, which is wildly complex and multifaceted. And we understand some things about it, but we do not understand it, right? So, so within that, what, what, what it tells us is it's not on off, right? But there are, there are, what it seems to be is there are ranges, right? So it, so it is not the case, oh, sperm said that person's generative drive. I mean, obviously I'm making up the numbers. I'm just making it up, say like, oh, on a scale of one to a hundred, the aggressive drives a 32. That's not how it works, right? Right. You might say like, look, that person overall is, is gonna have a low aggressive drive, right? And if we could magically know when sperm hits egg and maybe in utero things happen, we could say like, now at birth, we can say, oh, you know what? That person might have a range of like, you know, 25 to 45, like, like, again, like we can't say with that precision, but there's a range in people, right? And then by knowing oneself, one can, can cultivate that, right? So if, and I'm not trying to say this is true for you, but I'm just extrapolating or making up from what you told me. If you're like, look, that drive in me, I think is too low. I want to be more self-assertive. You can do that right? Now, are you going to be an 80 or 90 on that scale? Like, maybe not. It's very not in you to be that, right? If you have it, but again, we don't know those things for sure, but it's probably not. Most people are going to be, are going to be within a range. You know, you look at things that are like a standard deviation or so most people are going to be within a standard deviation. Then you can cultivate being more assertive because you're not limited to say where you are now. None of us is limited to where we are now but it is good to know ourselves so we know what's the range I'm in. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, that completely answered my question. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're oh, welcome. I, I have like kind of addition, like have there been any studies on like families of super creative people? Like uh, that, like, you know, like families that like every generation is like a musician. Like has there been like any correlation with that? Like with drives or... That, to the best of my knowledge, no, but there are like people who are interested in this and they've written things and they've done studies. They tend, I mean, the unfortunate just aspect of the world is like a lot of what gets studied in research is driven by what? Money and power and prestige, right? And and this doesn't like sell medicines, right? So so when so studies like that have more focused on, oh, like are there genetics for bipolar disorder, for example, right? Because genes for bipolar disorder are, are very strongly associated with creativity, right? So then people become interested in that. Why? Because bipolar disorder is a diagnosis. And some of those people have diagnosis, diagnoses and, and doctors like diagnoses. And, and if you have a diagnosis, then it requires medicines. And, you know, now we're off to the races of something that's not as much about understanding people. So um, I'm sure there are things out there and I can think of things people have written that, that like would, well, that, that have tangentially are about that, but this is not something generally that the field is interested in studying because the field doesn't reward studying, which is not right. It's not good. I think there should be, I should have an answer to that. It's like, yeah, here's these 10 papers, but it's just not working like that, you know?
Yeah, that's really ironic that the like studies on generative drive and that kind of stuff have very little reward for them in the community. <laughs> uh, thank you so medicines. much. Right, that's yeah. why it doesn't sell medicines, you know, and that's, I mean, I don't think very highly of the field I work in, which I think is driven off by some very base things that then produce parameters over what's okay and what's not to study. And so it is a problem. I think it's a problem that there's not a better answer to your question. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Hi, doctor. Um, Hello. Thanks for talking with us. Um, I had a question kind of like when you talked earlier in the in your uh, talk that you were saying that if if you're kind of like alone, um, being or if you feel like you're like the only one feeling like i don't know you're encountering you're maybe doing this job wrong or something and then you like you were saying or something like you go to your coworker and they're doing the same thing and and you can take that and move forward together um <clears throat> i feel like i was wondering like is there i know it's not kind of like you know uh uh like an accurate i guess number but like on like a is there something like a like a pragmatic thing that one can do um to <clears throat> check in or have i mean this is example of a great way like us being here but um aside from this you know uh is there like i don't know certain exercises that one can practice um on a weekly or even daily um habit to uh you know be with like you know have that, com that comfort or that kind of uh uh, the being in that group setting, if, if, if you're maybe limited to coming to this meeting, let's say every week, um, if you want, if you need more, you know, of that sort of camaraderie, I was just wondering if there's like maybe exercises that would pertain to that. So again, is there, when you say exercise, you mean inside of oneself, right? Because yeah, I mean, just, or, yeah. or, or it just can be with like other people. I don't know if it's like, you know, having like a weekly like chat with like a friend or like, you know, um, right. or like, okay. you know, doing an extracurricular activity, um, you know, that would help, oh, yeah. I guess, you know. Oh, yeah. Okay. Thank you. That is that, an answer for you. Yeah. So, so I'm going to say something, but I'm going to ex expand on it because like, this is where like a thing to say, which is true, but isn't the whole truth is like, okay, meditate, right? Or, you know, the, the idea of like, if I, if I clear my mind, right, I'm meditating, then I, I can be more reflective, I can be more honest with myself. And that is true, right? That is true. Meditation, what, what is meditation doing? It's clearing our mind from so much of the doing and the thinking, right? And I remember learning in some of my own training, uh, what some of you may have learned, there's a called a conveyor about exercise. Try and keep your mind open without things in it. When something comes into it, put it on this imaginary conveyor belt that takes it out of your consciousness, right? What, what, what a person is trying to do then is we're trying to clear the mind of all of this that says, oh gosh, where am I going to go next? What am I going to eat for dinner? Like, do I have something else to do? Do I have notes to write? Do I have this and that? Like, that's just going on in us all the time, right? And, and it does not allow for thought and insight. Like, this is thought to be a reason why when say psychedelic substances are shutting down all this, it's shutting down chatter, right? And, and then you can hear what's deeper. It's like, say, if you want to listen to a symphony that's, that's really beautiful, you know, you can't really do that if there are 10 other speakers playing 10 other music, right? right? So, so you got to calm down all the distraction and chatter 
to really be able to, with equanimity, to like perceive what's inside. Now, he, some people can do that very well through meditation, right? But, but but there are other ways to do that too. So so for example, I'm a very lousy meditator, right? I just kind of can't do it. I'm, I get restless, and but I'll tell you what I can do is I like walking and just looking around, right? If, but but when I used to go for walks. I would try to memorize something, think about something. Then I go for a walk. I come back. I haven't seen anything, right? And I realized that's not, you know, go for a walk and do that if you want exercise while you're memorizing something. You're not learning anything about it. You're not clearing your mind. But if I can go for a walk and just look around me like that is a pretty tree or, you know, like I didn't know look at the detail. Of that. If I can do that, my mind will clear and I'm in a much better place to like really think about myself in honest ways. Right. What, what's going well? What am I happy about? So, so meditation can clear the mind. There are other things that can clear the mind, right? To, to understand what is that. And by the way, people can do, yes, you said something very important, like a conversation with a friend. You said, but we can clear our minds when we're with safe people, right? If I'm with someone, I'm like, look, I can sit, talk about myself and you can talk about yourself. And, and like, neither one of us is looking to criticize the other or, like I can just say things to another consciousness. It's so important, right? We don't have to be defended, right? So, so a, a conversation with a good friend is so important because if you if you see what's going on inside of people, they're in the sort of similar state of the person who's meditating and clearing their mind, the person who's walking and looking around because that lets them clear their mind. Talking to a friend where, like, I'm just interested in you and you're just interested in me, and we're saying things. These are the kind of things that let us be in touch with ourselves. And, you know, I, I should add something to that. When when I was younger, like a lot of times there are fads uh, would be like pop psychology, right? And sometimes pop psychology fads are like really not helpful in any way, shape or form. Other times they are, right? And so the idea of like a human doing, when I was younger, people would talk about it, be a human being, not a human doing. Why was that in like everything from People Magazine to the newspapers? Why? Because that tells you something because that's real, right? It was reflecting something that's like there's way too much doing and not enough being, right? So I, I might even, let's resurrect pop psychology from 20 something years ago or from 30 years ago and say, the idea is to be able to be more and do less. But a lot of the doing that sends us off path is not doing you can see from the outside. It's things that are going on in here. You know, if I'm walking and have the checklist of the 15 things I need to do or should have done, or did I do right or not do right? I'm not being, right? But if I'm looking around me, there's an openness in the mind that is an openness of being. And there's been a lot done that really shows that. How, Like, for example, being in that state releases relaxation chemicals. It releases anti-hypertension chemicals, right? So, like, really good things happen in us when we're in that state. But we have to understand how to get ourselves into that state and what works for one of us versus the other. Great. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Well, so, yeah. Hi. Oh, thank you so much for speaking. I feel like I've learned so much. Um, oh, very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I just wanted to ask if you had any insight. So I am an artist, but I'm also a scientific researcher. And I was just thinking about like the overlap there in terms of generative drive. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts about maybe the similarities between 
that the science brain like generative drive versus like the artist brain generative drive and if you know of any like anything that's been studied in that realm yeah so the, fir the first thing i would say to that is and again i just want to clarify is there's just one generative drive right that's inside of someone it's not a, it's not attached then to specific things Right. So so if you have a high, let's say if you're doing the two things that you just told me, I'm going to guess you have, you have a high generative drive. Right. And and then we have to think about the individual person. Right. There are people who do scientific research who are very, very good at understanding, like how to set up experiments. So they're perfectly controlled and they're yielding numbers that can be assessed and studied. And, and like, like, that's wonderful. It is very different than someone who's thinking, huh, how would we study that differently? Right. And having known a lot of scientific researchers, some of them are coming at scientific research through ways that are, say, more creative, right? They're, they're figure, trying to figure out de novo ways of studying and understanding things versus people who are applying like a strong, kind of stereotypically left brained, um, forward power that might be realized mathematically say right so so then what i think if you tell me oh you know i'm an, i'm an artist i'm a scientific researcher then again i say don't know you so i'm making suppositions but it tells me oh i'm going to guess there's a strong generative drive in you right and and then that generative drive is manifest in you in ways that again are interesting right because it could be you can have a strong generative drive and plant gardens or be a surgeon, right? It doesn't have to come out as art or science, right? But the fact that it comes out as art and science tells me you're probably a more creative researcher as opposed to like forward quantitative power, so to speak. Or you may have both because probably there's a strong connection between the two sides of your brain, right? And it is obviously dramatically oversimplified to say, the left is the quantitative and the logical, and the right is the creative. Yes and no, like it's simplified, but there is truth to that, right? And when people have a strong connection, what's called the corpus callosum between the two sides of the brain, then you can see the overlap of, say, artistic creativity and scientific inquiry, right? And, and some of the scientists I've been privileged to know who are brilliant and high-achieving scientists, they're like that, right? They're doing science, but it's not, they're just doing left-brain stuff. The, the creativity of the right side comes there too. So with the idea of knowing thyself, I would say, okay, it seems to be you got a strong generative drive and it's coming out in ways that are manifest through like both sides of the brain, so to speak, in that simplified way, which tells me there's a connection there. Now we start to know some things. Again, I'm not saying I know it, just I'm saying it, but let's say you and I were sitting and talking like, okay, let's hash that out. Now we start really learning things about you, right? And there are things that can inform you about what may likely be more or or less interesting to you, things that you may be more or less adept at within you know the your areas of inquiry and and it may also then inform other aspects of your life or like personal life decisions or this or that like the idea that that like you're saying things that are important and relevant that can help guide your conception of self and then also decisions that you make uh, about your life does does that make sense or yeah, that was great. Thank you so much. That feels yeah. very validating because I've been sort of thinking about the, I guess, similarities between like the scientific method and the artistic process and how like there's artists that are like very procedural and very like 
I'm going to cut this rod at this length 11 times. And then there's also scientists that are kind of all over the place. Um, but there's also scientists that are like very, they don't want to do any of that. They just want to do run this column the same way every single time. And that's their jam. So it's interesting right. to hear like that sort of perspective. Right. And it shows how, yes. And, and it shows how we tend to like have a lot of reflexes about it because society just tells us. So like scientists are left brained or something. No, absolutely not. Right. I mean, there's scientists who are applying artistic creativity and like, this is where, like how we understand ourselves is one person at a time, you know, like we have to be very careful about painting with any broad brush because like, okay, I think it is true. We can say with a broad brush, people who are artistic have a higher generative drive. I think that's true. But then that gets not those scientists don't or left brain. That's not true. Right. So the idea is like, there are some principles that apply like a high generative drive and artistic creativity, but that artistic creativity could be in someone who never is going to make a piece of art, but is going to do really interesting novel science, you know? Great. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. I think the sound went away again. Do you have time for one more question? Oh, no. Oh, so yeah, yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. I noticed. Um, I was, hi, I was wondering if you could really quickly, briefly summarize why you think that the the generative drive is separate from the pleasure and aggressive drives or, yeah. So I think, and again, I think, I, I think there's a lot, there's historical data. Like, I think that there is like a giant treasure trove of data about humans that tells me this, right? But I'm just, but I'm just asserting it that I think you can't explain human behavior just based upon those drives, that people wouldn't like be creative for like, say, no good reason, right? Because then if there's not a generative drive and say you're an empowered person in the world and you have enough of what you need and you're not suffering in some way because you don't have like enough enjoyment, is that why would you create? Like nobody, nobody would do that. Then creation would be for no good reason, right? The same way that if somebody trips and falls in front of you and no one is around to see it, right? And you know, the, the thoughts say, well, if you help that person up, that's because you want to feel good about yourself, right? And it's selfish and it's aggression. I don't, I don't believe it. I think when people help one another and say, let me extend a hand to you, either literally or metaphorically, right? There's something beyond the self. Right? Why do people make sacrifices for other people? Things that seem to make no sense. Why do people run into burning buildings, even if there's someone they love inside the burning building? Is that because you're aggressive and you want to assert yourself and pull the person from the building, or it'll give you pleasure to, to pull the person? I just don't believe that. I think generative drive that's about creativity includes love, includes the spontaneous creativity. Like I want to, I want to create because. I feel good about creating and and I and I and I have somewhere in me that people are going to witness that and it's going to impact them. There's no good reason for that if we just have these aggressive and pleasure drives. The answer to all of it gets described gets I think if you add the generative drive it all makes sense, right? And I'll, and I'll add something to that which is which is in a very formative time for say psychiatry and and understanding like all the things that we're talking about after the Second World War, there became a lot of orthodoxy. So, so in the West, which we would say was Western Europe, 
And there was a diaspora of psychiatrists and people who were doing this science from Germany out to the rest of the world, right? And, and that's all like the Menninger brothers came to the United States and started the Menninger Clinic. And there was a diaspora out that meant a lot of that was good and it spread a lot of knowledge, but that it was very orthodox what you were thinking. So whether you were doing psychiatric inquiry in France or in the United States or in Chile, there was, a, there was like some rules around it, right? Of here are these drives, like here are the parameters you operate within that, that stifled a lot of creative thought. And then in the Eastern Bloc, you know, so the, the Soviet Union and the Eastern, the, the Eastern European states under Soviet control, all of mental health was a political tool, right? Oh, you don't agree with us? Sorry, you're mentally ill. Here's your ticket to, the, to Siberia, right? So there wasn't a lot of robust thought. But then when you think about places where there was more robust thought, so one example being the former Yugoslavia, right? Yugoslavia was liberated in a way that they were, Yugoslavia was not beholden and under the Soviet sphere. And it also wasn't part of the West, right? So you saw more independent thought there and people started writing more interesting things because they had the freedom to do so, right? And a lot of what they were writing about, some of them, right, was really speaking to this, right? They were writing off them as something called praxis, which what I think was a translation of like, uh, of like what they were capturing was a generative drive. So then, so if you look and you see where were people thinking and doing interesting things, you know, to the last person's question that weren't just, hey, let's take a set of givens of their two drives. And now you can think about it and you can run it forward. We have to do it within that, within that, because we know that's right. Okay, th that's very different than being able to apply the creativity of what appears to be in front of me, right? And a lot of what they were writing was much more consistent with, I think, just the obvious truth of humans. Um, it didn't predominate because Yugoslavia is small, right? And the, the, rest, the influence of everything else was, was bigger. But I think you see these sort of pools of truth when people are really thinking about people, including, including people who are, who are writing purely from a literary perspective. I think the, the, it speaks to the truth of this. And I would say, look, I'm not an arbiter. I don't know what's true or not. I'm just giving you my best opinion. I would say if to stop and think, is it, can it be that self-assertion slash aggression and pleasure explains everything? And I, 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 think, I think the answer to that is no. It doesn't explain a search for beauty. It doesn't explain love. It doesn't explain other directedness. It doesn't explain human kindness out of the blue. It doesn't explain creative urges where the creativity is the endpoint in and of itself. Right? There's so many things that are not explained by a two-drive model that I believe dumbs down humans and says, hey, like, get your aggression satisfied and get your pleasure satisfied, and that's that. Like, I, I think it sells us short as a species, and I think it promotes ways in which we can see ourselves in such a narrow way. We're like, oh, it is like, I think a lot of what we see in the world around us, it's not the only message we're getting, but it, but it says, hey, just get what's yours, right? And I think there's like there's a lot of ways in which what we've seen in say from political perspectives or like over a bunch of recent years, like kind of tells us like maybe that's okay, just get what get what get what's yours and make yourself happy. And is that really the be all and end all of us, or is that an aspect of our society that is in a sense rotting? And, and it's like taking us away from goodness. Is that how we're going to just drive ourselves into oblivion that I want what I want and you want what you want and I can't see your perspective and you can't see mine and 
will fight each other. Like, I don't think that I, I think some of what we've seen in, in, in some of the, the unseemly, you know, the mean to be political, but people who are hurting people, like, I think it's not okay. It's not political, right? Is, is like, what happens if we just run forward aggression and pleasure? And I, I think it shows us, oh, that's if, if we just decide that's where we're going and we're going to ignore the parts of us that can be creative and loving and spontaneous and giving. Like, I, I think we, we see um, we see the contrast by seeing where that we're ignoring that gets us, you know. So, again, it's just a set of opinions. But I do think that the world around us and looking at it really tells us that. And some of what these podcasts are going to come out in September really speaks to this. But a huge part of what we're talking about, I think there's going to be a series of four, is it really approaches this of, hey, we need to rethink how we're approaching being human, which isn't me saying, hey, I have a new set of thoughts. Everybody come over to this. Like I'm saying, I think history tells us this. I think intellectual traditions that some of which have been ignored tell us this. Like I, I think what we're doing in those podcasts is pointing to something that is true. And that helps us be healthy people in the world, as opposed to ultimately forces of destruction. But, you know, see what you think, you know, we all have our own opinions, you know. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it seems like maybe this generative force can be like evolutionarily used to describe why we cooperate or like form social groups or anything like that. Kind of right. Cool also to see that science is starting to shift towards these like strict binaries and dualities towards acknowledging that there's like these thirds or like the the greater sums of the wholes. Yeah, it's great. I love what you're saying because this idea, I think, I think that we are so over reductionist. So we, we, so then humans want to make things binary because then it's easier to understand. It's this or it's this. And I think when we get over reductionist, we lose truth, right? So, so then we want to get down to like those things that are so simple, right? But when they're simple, they 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 don't do justice to what really is true, right? Like there's so many things that are that are that are conveyed as binary, are not are just simply not. It's just simply not true. And and we're seeing more. We're able to understand more that like we've oversimplified in so many ways. And how badly does that harm people? I mean, you think there was how many things get reduced to the binary? How harmful is that for people who just don't fit into the black or white? the binary of it it's just not it's not what the truth of humans is and and i think you really i, I like when you're, you're saying right the the the, the anti-binariness which i think is pro-truth and pro-compassion for for the truth of human beings uh i think pushes towards this broadened understanding so i like that you said that because this is all anti all that over reductionist binariness well thank you so much you're welcome yeah all right. Um, that's all the time we have for today. But thank you so much, Dr. Conte. That was amazing. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Lucian, thank you for inviting me. And to everyone out there, th- thank you for your time and attention. It's it's really a, it's a pleasure and an honor. Thanks so much. Awesome. All right. We'll see you soon. Hey, take Thanks, care. Dr. Conte. You're Bye. welcome. Bye.